We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. We'll do it that way. So, John, we were texting. Oh, yeah. About the current state of things. Sure. And I think it might be interesting to kind of just, uh, we've already been very honest about where things are sure. at. Um, I kind of want to just have a really open conversation about where my head's at. But I also think it's the kind of thing where traditional wisdom is that maybe I should not discuss these things preemptively and 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 in some ways that's precisely why i want to discuss them i want to get ahead of the narrative i want to i want to be honest when it hurts because that's the only time when it's really interesting to be honest if you get caught in a lie then you're not telling the truth when you come clean Mm. and so i'm not saying i'm lying about anything i'm not but if i make up a narrative after the fact to justify what took place, then it's less interesting. It's less truthful. And the point of this podcast is to be totally. And I'll say this just by way of like explanation of, and I'll, I'll leave this all in and people can hear my reluctance to talk about it, but this is partly what, why I would be reluctant to talk about the project that we're working on. And it has to do with like expectation management. Hmm. You know, like if nobody hears me talk about this and it gets made and it whatever happens is like, yeah, I worked on that and Mm -hmm. I haven't been going around. But it's a double edged thing. I mean, it's a weird thing. You know, we've sort of talked about this before, but if you're not promoting yourself. 
you're you're missing out on that aspect of it. So there is a I don't know, there's a fear based element in my mind that's like, don't talk about any of this stuff because it could come back to bite you in the ass either way. Right. But also, here's the thing. Um, as my boy Chuang Su would say, you know, there's this concept of being the empty boat. So he has this poem called The Empty Boat. <clears throat> and he talks about how if you're in a boat, this is a classic parable. It's completely unrelatable to 99% of the population. And <laughs> so therefore, no one will really understand what I'm talking about, but I'm going to try anyway. If you're in a boat, a non-powered boat, and you're cruising across a lake or a river, and there's another boat coming at you, and it's going to run into you. Let's say you're in a sailboat. So I have done a little bit of boating, mm -hmm. and the way boating works is unpowered vessels always have the right of way over powered vessels, right? Um, because they're more powered uh, vessels with with a motor can maneuver more rapidly mm -hmm. and more nimbly than than one with a sail or row or or whatever. And so it's the it's always the job of the powered vessel vessel to give way to the unpowered vessel because they're 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 less maneuverable. <clears throat> and so Chuang Su has this poem called The Empty Boat, and he basically says if there's a boat coming at you and it's gonna collide with you, if there's a person in the boat, you start yelling to get the attention, you start screaming, you know, and, and, and this is like road rage. Let's put it in a car. If there's a car rolling towards you in a in a uh actually I'm gonna make it even simpler. You're in a grocery store parking lot. Yes. Okay. And there's a there's a cart rolling towards yes. your car. And it's gonna hit you. Your car is parked. You can't go anywhere. Your fucking car is parked. The cart is going to wreck your brand new car. It's gonna scratch up the side. If there's a person pushing the cart, you start yelling at the person saying, don't run into my car, obviously, sure. right? If you, and of course I'm butchering this metaphor, but if you, if there, if the cart's just rolling on its own, there's nothing you can do. So his whole thing is be an empty boat. Like let the tide take you where it's going to go. And this is where the meta, my version of it breaks down because don't be a cart rolling across the parking lot, hitting cars. The point is, if you have nothing, if you have no aggression, mm -hmm. it's sort of like my dogs. They can sense my anger almost before I sure. can. And so if I am truly empty of that aggression, then they don't feel any need to go into like defensive mode. We call it, we call Olive earless. You know, she throws her ears back. She gets real sad. <clears throat> And so I think in, what I'm really trying to say is if I'm the empty boat, if I put it all out there instead of hiding anything, then what could possibly come back to bite me? Because someone would say, well, you'd said this. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I did say that. And it was true at the time. Now, I may not. Uh, I may have changed my position on that since then, but I don't believe in sort of the everything you say, I, I, I think maybe what we're really talking about is I don't like the everything you say is on the record forever and represents you in perpetuity philosophy. I don't like that. <laughs> it's scary. Yeah, exactly. People yeah. change. And if I'm a politician, I'm thinking, yeah, in 1980, 
that was the zeitgeist. We all thought that was a good idea. That's what science does well. There's not a lot of shame in being wrong in science. It's known as part of the process. But it also depends you know, on your demeanor because you, you have some people that are so overconfident in science that they boldly assert stuff that they have no business asserting. That's really where people get pissed, right? That is, and they should never have asserted it in the first place. And so I think that's being the empty boat. If you are going in saying, I am right, don't question me, then you are cruising for a bruising. Now, if you go in and say, this is where I'm at and I'm open to feedback, then how could people possibly hate you for that? Yeah, well, exactly. That's the difference. Exactly. So I'm saying I want to be the empty boat. I'm not saying I know what's going to happen. And I'm not saying I'm in control. What I'm saying is rollers is largely out of my mm -hmm. control. And therefore, I would like to assert some control over the aspects of it that are that I can. Now? Are you talking about now? Well, in some ways, yeah, by by building right. a narrative so hit around us. it. You know? Okay. <laughs> well, I Oh boy. Now I'm on the spot. You brought it oh, up. shit. Well, okay, so we we've been talking about festivals yeah. and shit, right? And and you know, I was getting real negative last time. No. Cuz I didn't get into Sundance. Me me me. And you know, here's the thing. I don't really give a shit about Sundance. Sundance can do what Sundance sure. does. Um it's not my festival. If I want to choose what movies get into festival, I'll start a festival. You know what though? I don't really give a shit. I'm not into programming movies at festivals. That's not my thing. It's other people's thing. It's not my thing. Here's, I think, John, deep down, I've been doing a lot mm -hmm. of thinking, a lot of processing. Mm -hmm. I think this is now again, I'm I I I'm not saying that this is true. Okay. I'm saying that this seems to be my experience. Mm. And in my experience, if you don't get into Sundance, the chances of closing a a ma a deal with a major distribution mm -hmm. company like A24. Yeah. Um the chances of closing and 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 I'd like to define what kind it's not the company itself that defines the kind of deal that I'm discussing. I'll define the deal itself rather sure. than the company. The deal that I would be describing in this case is a distribution deal where basically they say here's all the money you put into it plus a lot more and we will make a commitment to spend a lot of time and money promoting the movie on right. your behalf mm -hmm. right um that is sort of a category of distribution deal and on the far other end of the spectrum is pure self-distribution where there is no quote unquote distributor except for maybe an aggregator or other connections in place. And there's everything yep. in between, right? Um, I have been in a situation such as with Hunter Gatherer, the first movie we produced. We went to South by, we won an award at South by, we sold it to what is considered a mini major distributor, The Orchard. Um, they are now owned by Sony and they do in certain cases, spend major amounts of money 
marketing and distributing movies. In the case of Hunter Gatherer, they mm. did not do that. And that's not that's not a knock on them. That was the deal that we agreed to. That was the negotiation where the mm. negotiation landed. They basically gave us a, a, a certain amount of money up front, a good chunk of what we put into it, but not everything. And then they frankly didn't really spend any money marketing it. Um, and and again, that was annoying to me. But what's the business, especially in hindsight, behind that? Because it's like a lose lose. Exactly, there's a hundred percent. But they did not see the opportunity. And and honestly, also, it was the fall. Mm. You know, like look at the freaking movies that are out right now. Um, it's a it's a rat race. I mean, there's everybody's sure. putting movies out right now. So like, you got to spend a lot of money to break through that kind of mm-hmm. clutter. Or especially if it's not clutter, if it's like Little Women and, you know, 40 other movies that lots of people are going to want to see. why buy it in the first you, place? That, well, that is a great question. I'm not exactly sure why they bought it. Um, that's a great question. And and so to bring it back to Rollers, um, we sold Never Going Back, for instance, mm-hmm. to A24, right? Um, well-known major distributor um has won oscars all that kind of stuff but they bought never going back again for reasons that are never quite explicitly disclosed to us in the sense that they bought it and 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 we agreed to a certain deal and it worked out financially for everybody involved i think but um again they did not put a lot of additional capital and resources behind it because in part um when we were planning to do a big push eighth grade had come out Mm -hmm. a few weeks earlier and was doing gangbusters business and they made a very wise albeit frustrating to us decision to put every egg of their sort of indie division into eighth grade and so they did that and i don't blame them they probably owned a bigger percentage of the movie because they financed it it had more legs because it was just already big it was a bigger budget all that kind of stuff so they made a financial decision that did not necessarily line up with what i would have wanted them to make but that's business i'm not complaining Mm -hmm. i'm just stating a fact okay now here's the deal Again, this is not a fact. This is my experience, and I want to be very clear about that. There are always outliers, sure, right? But my experience is that if you do, do not go to Sundance or like Toronto or a couple other major North American festivals, and when I say major, I mean those two plus mm-hmm. like maybe one other that I'm not thinking of. Chattanooga of Film Festival. Right. Those are the three. Toronto, Sundance, and Chat Film Festival. If you don't go to one of those three, you pretty much don't really have a shot at closing a big one-stop shop, all-world, lots of upfront money and lots of marketing-style distribution Mm. deal. Now, again, I guarantee that with research, I could prove myself wrong with an exception, but my point is not to play exceptions. I am discussing the norm. And the norm that I have experienced is that 
South by Southwest, Tribeca, etc. There are great movies that premiere there, but the ones that end up getting big pushes are usually premiering there with distribution already in place because they have big stars and they chose those festivals as mm-hmm. a launching pad, not as a right. sales market. Sundance did not used to be a sales market until the early 90s and Harvey Weinstein basically started realizing like, oh, I can go and buy a movie on the cheap and, you know, do this thing. And now anyway, that a lo- it's constantly in flux in part because Netflix, Amazon, et cetera, for, for a period of a few years, they were fueling a very hot sales market at Sundance and, and even some other places. And we even benefited from that to some extent because they were ramping up the amount of content that they right. were produ- or buying. But in, in the last couple of years, um, the sales market has been a lot more tepid for smaller movies, especially because there isn't this gorilla in the room making what felt at the time like wild sure. offers yeah. um, that drove prices up. And so there's a much more, maybe uh, you could call it appropriate sales market. You know, appropriate meaning adjusted to what it should be. You know, it's a, it's a typical market. It goes up, it goes down, it then eventually sure. kind of equalizes. But but Netflix, Amazon, all of those that were buying all these big movies, setting records for the biggest sales ever out of Sundance, et cetera, et cetera, they are no longer really doing that because smartly they realized, hey, we can just right. do this in-house and not spend seven of the $15 million that we're going to lay out for this movie as profit that goes directly to the filmmakers. We can just spend the seven or the eight making the movie and paying everybody really well, and then spend the other seven of the 15 that we would have to just buy this thing. We're going to spend on marketing and Mm -hmm. distribution and all that kind of stuff. So my point is, I think deep down, I was partly disappointed about the Sundance thing because I know that deep down, um, even if we got into Sundance, the chances of closing a big deal with a small movie like ours were very, very slim. But when Sundance door closed, I think probably the door on a major deal closed too. Now, here's the deal. (laughs) No pun intended. Um, that door was never really all that wide open anyway, because people don't traditionally spend a lot of money on movies like rollers. It has nothing to do with quality. It has everything to do with like just the fact that it's little. Sure. You know, I think it feels like a much larger movie than it is. I feel like it's extremely marketable. Um, but there are just sort of certain prejudices within the market that make it very difficult to break out of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Is this all making sense to me? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think that was some of the the deep down, some of the disappointment. Sure. Um, <clears throat> now, that is not a critique of festivals like South by or Tribeca. It's purely my experience. It's it's uh, it's me trying to make sense of all of this. Okay. Now, none of that is all that sensitive or whatever. What I'm trying to really get at is that I am realizing that we are looking at probably, even if we close a deal 
I think, for instance, rollers would fit great at a company like A24. I think A24 could crush a movie like Rollers. I think it's right up their alley. But I don't know that they are going to buy it. And even if they did buy it, I think we would likely end up in a very similar situation to where we ended up with Never Going Back, which is, and this is where I'm really getting, that the burden of getting people to see the movie is primarily, that burden primarily lies on the filmmaker. Sure. Not the distributor. I.e. you. Me. And you, because I roped you into this shit. (laughs) And other partners who are involved. Sure. So now, well, hold up. What do you what do you think about this? What do I what do I think about that? Yeah, I mean, what do you think about? Well, this? Yeah, I like, mean, look, you know, th- yeah, there was this like long shot version of the narrative in my head, which again mm, happens. Shit, sometimes a couple times a year. How, I mean, again, literally, like, before, but how not you... even twice a year, I think. Like, movies the size of Rollers get, like, a wide, wide release. Like, maybe twice a year, right. maybe once, maybe zero. I thought, ah, shit, maybe we'll be the outlier. You know, maybe we'll be... But what I think has partly happened is that the marketplace has continued to evolve even since making the movie. Sure, of course. You know, Apple has entered the marketplace. All these people are producing a lot of content in-house, and so the market is very different, and no one really even knows what the market at Sundance is going to be like this year. Mm-hmm. No one ever knows really until after the fact. Um, so <clears throat> what do I think about it? What I think is I'm coming to grips with the fact that no matter where Rollers premieres, the burden of getting people to see it will primarily lie on us. Right. And, and I always knew that that was the most likely scenario. Um, but it's not ideal. It is not ideal. No. I mean, ideally I would sell rollers for 15 times the budget (laughs) with a, a marketing commitment of an equal number and they would put it in a thousand screens over the course of three months, and it would have a really nice long tour around the country. That's ideal. Sure. But the, again, that happens, that might happen zero times in 2020. I mean, literally, that might not happen even once. You mean for a movie of, of, of this, of, of, of this, this kind? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like those percentages, um, movies will get distributed that way, but they will almost certainly be produced in-house by companies like a24 etc does that make sense so if you think that this is the the next eventuality do i need to clarify what i'm saying i, I feel so. like i'm okay i don't think so um but if you are saying that this is the next eventuality what do you do is this something that you're well, you're gearing you're telling us because you're gearing up to do something i'm girding my loins as they say <laughs> for against what against the 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 hall you know what hall is another mountain ahead of us john mm, yep you know like l- let me put it this way because you know i like my confusing metaphors <laughs> make sure there's um, sports involved so i really don't understand 
Yeah, there's some sports involved. Oh, some extreme sports. So, um, as we have often said, you know, this is kind of like climbing a mountain. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point where I thought, you know, we're we're halfway up this giant ass mountain, right? Yeah. And there were points where I think partly, um. <clears throat> out of necessity to sort of get myself through it. And also just out of genuine hope. Um, I thought, you know, we're going to get to this, this peak. I know it's not the peak, but we're going to get to this peak and we're going to find that there's a helipad. Right. <laughs> and we're going to find that there's a helicopter that wants to take us to the next peak. Right. It has happened before. Now, is the helicopter going is the helicopter gonna be there? That's a big question mark. Is there did the helipad get destroyed in the last big storm that came through? I don't know. We have now reached that peak. No, that's not true. We are now nearing the peak, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Where the helipad once sat back in 2005. <laughs> And I and I've heard these stories of of people reaching this helipad and they're tired and at the end of their rope and this fucking giant helipad with a big A24 logo on the side of it. I mean, a helicopter with a giant A24 logo on the side of it was just idling there and they're like, hop in. We'll take you the rest of the way. (laughs) That has happened. I've heard stories. I've seen it happen to friends. Sure. And I was like, oh, God, maybe the helicopter's waiting for us because I'm tired. We're now getting close to the, the, the pad. There's some hiking left to do, but I, I don't hear a helicopter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think there's, based on the way the market is shaping up, I think that there's a chance that the helipad was destroyed. I don't even know if the helipad exists anymore. You know, like I think that the rides, as as Chris McQuarrie said, you know, we were listening to Chris McQuarrie. We we've talked about him. Mm-hmm. We've uh, man, what a great podcast episode on Brian. Uh, what's his Koppelman. name? Brian Koppelman's podcast. Uh, he interviewed Chris McQuarrie, who did um some of the Mission Impossible movies and Usual Suspects, a bunch of other great stuff. And he, I mean, if anybody knows what they're talking about, it's this guy, not me. And he said, in a very different context, he was talking about spec scripts, mm-hmm. right? And he said it used to be that there was this lottery and it was a very difficult lottery to win, but there was a lottery and every year a number of people won the lottery. And what the lottery was, was a a point where someone said, this script is dynamite. I'm going to buy it. This is what happened with usual suspects. For example, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to attach all the people that need to be attached. I'm going to pay you a shit ton of money for it. And we're going to end up making a hit and you're going to win an Oscar for it. Mm. That used to be a thing that happens sometimes. Like um, uh, Little Miss Sunshine is another example. Mm -hmm. Um, These movies that just come out of nowhere, right? He said there used to be a lottery. And he said, I was talking, this is Brian, and this is uh, Chris McCreary talking. I was talking to a friend on this, because he went on this big rant, actually. And and he, he sort of checked his gut with a friend of his who knows a lot about these things, who used to be one of the main gatekeepers for the lottery when it was around. And, and he said to Chris, he said, Chris, you're right about almost everything you said. 
But it's not that the lottery is smaller than it used to be. The lottery is closed. (laughs) There is no lottery. We don't do that anymore. We don't discover projects the way we used to. I mean, in that, I, I, I hope that some of the people who are listening to this who are trying to play the lottery hear that. The lottery is closed. Don't take my word for it. Take it from a guy who makes some of the biggest movies on the planet and knows firsthand the lottery is closed. Now, that is the spec market that he's mm-hmm. talking about. And that was hottest in the 90s and the 80s. <clears throat> Which the, to be the, clear, the that's negative you write pickup. a script without any you don't know anything about the you don't have any contacts. You're writing it from your basement. Yeah, you go to Universal content. and Universal's like, we're going for it. You know, that doesn't happen unless you just have some serious pre existing connections and you're already in the system. Yeah. You know. Um now the the negative pickup market, which is basically what we're talking about, where where distributors buy a finished movie. Is op is is understandably going to be a little bit behind that because it's a it's a later stage in the right, in the pipeline. Right. Everything you know in your mean? case, the movie is already financed and made. Exactly, and so you can see how the changes that hit that market might happen a little sure, later. Yeah. Right, we are now experiencing the same thing. The lottery is basically closed. I think. Um, people have realized that it is uh, again i could be wrong this could be a gangbuster year at sundance um but what it seems to me is that people are done paying premiums for movies and are instead producing them themselves and that trend has been set there's a lot of precedent for that including but not limited to netflix amazon apple they're saying well, we, we kind of figured out how to do this. We're going to bring it all in-house. So is this your way of telling us that you're quitting the film business? Yeah, so the, <laughs> thank you um, for just ripping that Band-Aid off. Basically what I'm saying is I'm going to bury rollers under six feet of concrete and no one will ever see what it. What do you do, though? So now you are self-distributing. Oh, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, literally, I'm going to dig a hole in my backyard. I'm going to throw the hard drives in the bottom of the hole and I'm going to pour six feet. You'd have to go get them from the post house first though. Oh, that's true. They might not let me have them. That's probably for the best. So what what do you do? So barring. Okay. What do I do? I basically what I do, John is I gird my Mm -hmm. loins. I, I, I take the next few weeks while I still, I still don't know where we're going to premiere. You mean what festival? And I think the realization that I'm coming to is that it doesn't sure. matter for this particular part of the process. Now, I would love to premiere at a major festival in part because it would make what I'm about to describe as a quote unquote path sure. easier. But it does not change the fact that the helipad is rubble <laughs> and the helicopter is in Malibu. It's not at right. the top of the mountain. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I am not going to wait until September to real. I'm not going to sit around on the fucking rubble helipad waiting for the helicopter. to come. It's not coming. So I'm going to make plans. And I think John, what the plan is, and again, I still wanted to sell it to a distributor to partner Mm -hmm. with me 
on this process. I still want to premiere at a major festival to help expose the movie to more people. But it doesn't really change anything, I don't think. So what does the plan look like? Um, there's The plan looks like, uh, while we have some time, um, resting a little bit. Mm. The Okay, so here's how you... I don't know exactly how you quote-unquote self-distribute. Let's not even get into it. Again, I, I have a different it. idea. Okay. Why are you so confident about this? About what specifically? So you, you're saying that because Sundance is it, and that's the way it goes. Well, I don't know that I want to be quoted that right. way. But that is essentially what you've said. And since you didn't get into Sundance, you're saying, well... And I'm saying I'm not even sure if Sundance is sure. It. I'm saying time will tell. We'll know at the end of January when Sundance is over. We'll probably know within three days of Sundance starting. If there's not a major deal closed, the, the it's dead. It's dead. It may not be dead forever, but it's fucking dead now. It was kind of dead last year. You know what I mean? You're about- and 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 I can go back in time and point to some of the reasons for this. One, lots of major major distributors like Fox Searchlight and others have spent over ten million dollars acquiring movies that then did zero right. business. You know, they've just realized it's an inefficient way to acquire properties. Um all of the biggest sales at Sundance do not represent the biggest box office successes. Um, it was always, and, and again, inefficiencies and arbitrage of various kinds survive for a little while. And then the market closes loops. And I think what we're experiencing is that the, the loops are closing. So I'm not sure that Sundance is, was the door. I'm not even sure if the door existed. The, the helipad could have been gone because there's part of me that's like, well, if we had climbed the mountain two years earlier, maybe it would say, I don't know. You know, like it might have been gone two years ago. And I just wasn't really like, I mean, again, we, 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 I've been through this and, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy then either. And so I think what I'm saying is not, we're fucked. What I'm saying is, I think I kind of knew deep down that I was probably going to end up having to do this. And what I'm not willing to do is bury the movie under six feet of concrete. The movie needs to be seen. It needs to have a life. And I'm assuming that I will be responsible for ensuring that that happens. And so let's say we do sell it. I will be, if, if I, if I prepare, if I gird my loins, I can go to a potential partner and say, I've thought about a lot of things. I've created a lot of great assets. I have a lot of great strategy. Let's put it into place. Mm-hmm. Let's go, baby. And and they'll be like, great. Thanks for doing all this work. Let's fucking roll. You know, because what I know they're not going to say is we got it <laughs> right. from here, bro. Right. Sit back. Here's some hot chocolate. Throw up your feet. They're going to be like, okay, you ready to go to work? And I'm going to be like, fuck yeah, I'm ready to go to work. Let's go. And then if they don't show up, then I'm in the same position and I fucking go to work. So I'm just, I'm just trying to not waste time. You know, I'm trying to head into this thing strong. Are you ready for this? Mm. (laughs) The audience knows the answer to that is no, hell no. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a slog, right? Yeah, and it's so going to be a fucking made, slog, John. Like, it will be a brutal, demoralizing slog because 
you're not yep. it's not gonna be yes the first time. It just won't. It's gonna be no ten thousand times and then yes. Well, here's the thing, John. Um, we've talked about this in other ways. I am a committed professional, and I know that sounds hokey to say that, but what I mean by that is I'm not in this I will not be turned down easily. I I I will not be going home. I will not when I when I get to that helipad even if it's even if it is rubble I will make it to the peak that's beyond us. I I'm not turning around. I would have done that a long time mm -hmm. ago. Um rollers deserves an audience. You know, I've made a, a big fat point of saying that not every movie commands or deserves an audience. I think I believe in my bones that rollers will connect with audiences. Mm -hmm. And so there's a part of me that thinks, you know, maybe if we don't sell this thing to a distributor, we'll be dodging a bullet because we'll get to make more money. We'll get to like, we'll get to control the narrative of this, of this thing and not have to sort of split it up. Or if we sell it to a distributor who really is bringing value as a partner, then that'll be worth it. But I don't want to be in a situation where we limp into a deal and they take a huge chunk of the movie and don't do right. shit. That's what I'm not willing to do. I, I'm not going to get to that helipad and be like, oh, great. You say you can help me get to the peak, but I'm really just going to end up carrying your bag for you. I don't have time for that shit because I'm going there. I'm going to the top, you know, and and so I, when I when I say like I'm a professional, what I really mean by that is I don't care who says no. I literally don't sure. care who says <clears throat> right. no because I know in my gut when I'm done and I'm not done yet. And Rollers is not done yet. And I think people will like rollers and now it's just another you know the first challenge was can i get this movie written right and it was a long slog and then the next challenge was can i get this movie made and that was its own giant slog and i kept waiting for the fucking cavalry to come and it never did and then i said can i get this movie edited and make it as good as I wanted it to be before I shot the movie that I actually have. And we've discussed this. And the answer was, yeah, but it's going to be a long slog. And now I'm at the point where I got to decide, do I throw away all the work I did or do I just pony up and fucking see what happens? You know, and I think I'm going to see what happens because here's the thing. If I am enough, I am committed enough to the next 25 years of my career that I might put in all of this work and we get the number of people to watch it who currently listen to this podcast. Cause I know I can count on 47,000. You guys, you guys being on 30 billion people. It's a hit. So I know I can count on the people who are part of this podcast to hopefully drag their friends out and watch it on Netflix. I'm counting on you people. I'm warning you now. I'm going to start getting real needy. I've seen it for at least really 40 good. times. Yeah, totally. And it's not it's not bad. It's not bad. You still like I it. I definitely still enjoy it watching it and I've seen it literally more than any movie I've ever seen by a mile. Yeah. I like it. I don't know that I Well, put it this way. I I still like it and you know, I was talking to the post house Jonathan said, 
you know, he was like, look, man, we're going to touch base right after the new year. I'm really excited. He's like, trust me, I've seen this process many times. He's like, you haven't seen your movie until you've seen it with sound and color, you know? So I'm really pumped about seeing the next version of it. When do you get um, that back? When I think you get it's going it to be special. It'll be a back and forth process probably for the next six to eight weeks. Um, off and on, but a lot of that is going to be just fine tuning little details. So my, here's, here's what I'm really trying to say though. I, I'm not giving up. And I'm, and when I say I'm gearing up for a slog, which it will be a slog, I'm just gearing up, you know, it's, there's no point in pussyfooting around it. You know, there's, there's no benefit to, um, trying to convince myself that I'm almost there if I'm not. You know, it's it's you better, better I, having I, said know, it have out, this, out loud. I feel a little better. Sure. Yeah. Um, now, what I hope happens again is that I am surprised by like beneficial conditions that make our trek easier. But plan for the worst, you know, hope for the best plan for the worst. And for me, what that looks like is things that we've already started doing. Like we've got some really fun behind the scenes stuff. And we start working on cutting that into compelling content that is going to get people excited about the movie. I think we can cut several really, really good trailers for this movie. I think it, it, it's going to be fun without giving the entire thing away. I think we can we can get people excited about this movie, not because they're like, I'm going to support an indie movie, but because I think that I don't want people to watch it purely on that basis. Sure. I'll take whatever charity I can get, but at the end of the day, my goal, my job starting with this conversation is to make the case to audiences that this movie is worth their time. Because I don't take that for granted. I don't think anyone owes me one fucking second of their attention. I don't think they owe me anything. I don't assume that anyone will watch this movie as a favor to me. Even my friends, I won't assume that. I don't assume that with this podcast. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm like really behind on the podcast. And I think they expect that to be uh for me to maybe be a little offended or disappointed at that i'm just pleasantly surprised and thrilled and 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 uh complimented sure. when they do listen because it's a big commitment what? it's an hour of your time oh my every gosh. week that's too long <laughs> you know i don't give many people an hour yeah. of my time every week and people give this show an hour of their time every week because I assume that to some extent we're providing value to their lives. And so I'm shifting, ex- well, that too, but there's a lot of sure. other things they could listen to, but they choose to listen to this, and I'm grateful for that. And so what I'm saying is I think I'm in a mental shift from make the movie as good as I can. I have now summited that mountain. I'm now kind of in a holding pattern a little bit, but I know that the next mountain is making the case that this movie is worth your time and money. And I believe that that case is makeable. Um, I believe that we can inspire people to evangelize this movie, not out of pity, not out of 
duty, not out of like support of the industry or, or independent artists. I'll take whatever I can get, <laughs> right. but I think we can get, we can mobilize an audience to evangelize this movie because it means something to them. You need to cut in some religious themes and then go on a Kanye. I mean, you know, I got to figure out what that looks like for me. You're right. Merch in church, I, I mean, dude. Merch in church. That's the way to make money. I know how to try to convince people to buy shit. And, and right now I'm going to throw every single ounce of effort. I don't know if you can measure effort in ounces, but I'm going to throw my weight behind convincing people that this movie is worth their time and money. And I can do that because I, in my gut, in my bones, I know that people will be glad that they watched this movie. There is no doubt in my mind that people will like, will watch this movie and think that was worth every minute of my time. Even if they're not like in love with it, I think they're going to watch it and they're going to say that was worthwhile experience. And I want to tell someone else that they should watch it because I think it will be worth their time. Not as if, again, not as charity that does not get you very far. It's like a good book. You read a great book and you want to tell people, go read this book. Sure. You do it with Stephen yeah. King all the time. And you don't do it because yeah, you owe Stephen King a favor. You don't do it because Stephen King owes needs your charity. True. No. You know, you do it because it's fucking rad. And I think Rollers is fucking rad. I think it's a great story and I think it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people, but we have to do the legwork of getting it in front of them. And then they have to make that decision on their own. And I and again, I think that that burden of um I don't know that burden of sort of uh, uh, convincing people uh, does lie on us. And I just, all I hope for, I do hope that the, that the, if you want to call it charity or sort of the goodwill that we get, the only thing I ask for is that people give it a shot, you know, and that they, they give it a shot in the sense that like, I hope I am given somewhat of a platform to make that case to people, whether that's on podcasts or in, in PR pushes with magazines and online newspaper type stuff or at festivals. I just hope and pray that I'm given the opportunity to make the case for why I think this movie is worth your time, because I think I can make the case yeah, if I'm given the, given the option, you know, gearing up. For the slot. Yeah, I mean, maybe it won't be, but... But I'm saying you got to do something anyway. Even if rollers did sell, you got to keep busy. You got to do stuff. Well, yeah, no matter what it is. I mean, you, you look at the Avengers, it's still the burden of promotion still lies on the talent exactly. and the other the directors. Sure. They got to go on the talk show circuits and all. It's not the marketing execs at Marvel who do it. And so... It's it's their job. So I'm going to be relying very heavily on the talent in this movie who thankfully have reaches of their own. I'm going to be relying on the goodwill of the people of this podcast and, and lots of other people. And I'm going to be saying, if you believe in this movie, if you like it, tell people about it and um, and let's see what happens. And And I think to close it out, I think what's exciting to me is the knowledge that I'm going to make another movie soon. 
I'm hopefully going to make many more movies after that. And, and I hope that even if nobody sees this thing, that it has a life of its own that may last for many years. You know, I think that's, that's what I'm hoping. And it may be that it takes another decade before people really give rollers a second chance, but you know what? I didn't make it for the sort of instant gratification anyway. That's not why I got Do you think people game, are really going to watch you know? um, your impeachment Donald Trump movie in 10 years? It's kind of it's kind of topical. <laughs> you know, you ever think that I people would, have been listening to this? They still don't oh, really know what the movie like. They haven't seen the movie. They still don't know what the heck it's about. I think they're I know. I think they're going to love it, though, man. I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised. I think they're going to be like. Well, I guess I should watch it because I've been listening to this podcast for 70 hours of my life. And then they're going to see the movie and they're like, oh, right. He should have exactly. just shut the fuck up and showed us the movie. For sure. Because that's great. I think that's probably what's going to happen. And I'll be like, I know. I just I had to do something in the meantime. Yeah, well, like I, I at times think of myself, you know, I joke. I'm like, man, if The Walking Dead happened. um, Just put me down. Yeah. But, you know, the truth is I say that. But if I if I examine my own record to a fault, you know, my therapist kind of accuses me, not accuses, that's the wrong word, but sort of jokes with me that I'm a masochist because I have a habit, for better or worse, of picking the people, the institutions, the places that want me the least <laughs> and just wearing them down until they finally accept me and not because i i think in an unhealthy way it happens because i crave and need their acceptance but on a deeper more powerful level it's because i love being a mm. winner john i'm not fucking around i love winning at impossible games um and that's why I'm in Hollywood because no one wants my movie. The, the establishment does not need Isaiah Smallman, but I want to make some shit. I got some shit I want to say, and somebody's going to get to say it. Somebody's going to get the opportunities. Somebody's going to define the narrative of the next 20 years of cinema history. And I want to be part of that conversation. They actively, they being the system, the faceless inertia of the system does not want new voices, but I'm so fucking determined to wedge my way in there. I'm not going to give up because that's what I do. You know, like I found the girls in high school that just didn't want me around. And then I finally figured out a way to convince them that I was actually cool. And we became friends. Now again, I thought that was going to end with a restraining order for sure. <laughs> No, because I'm not a creep. <laughs> that just sounded like what you were gearing up to. Funny. No, I don't stalk people. Except on the internet. I will be stalking people on the internet to try to feed them oh, rollers yeah. propaganda. That's target, but you know targeted marketing. That's the world we live in, baby. People are going to be like, I thought about... You know, Kelly, the other day, we saw a celebrity, right? Who? I don't remember her name. What? Some chick from the other thing. We saw her at a, we saw her at like a farmer's market. Kim Kardashian? No. Oh. A minor, a B-list celebrity. Gotcha. And um, somebody from the OC. So Kelly recognized her and she's like, oh, it's so-and-so. And then we kept walking. She was buying some uh, jams or something. I don't know. And 
she mentioned her. Now, this is important, John. Neither of us had a cell phone on us at the time, okay? Why? Because we just happened to, we walked up there, we left him at home accidentally, and just because we were like going out for a walk and we just left our phones, and then we were like, oh yeah, we don't have our phones. It was nice. It was nice to not have our phones. The point is, neither of us had our phones on us. About three or four, no, I think it was the next morning, Kelly got a targeted Instagram ad featuring that celebrity. No way. Yes, John. And I've never seen this chick in my life, and Kelly hasn't thought of her or seen her or mentioned her or watched anything related to her, and we didn't talk about it when we got home. It is a true mystery, John. I do not know how they knew to target her with Rachel, what's her face from the OC, but they did. And it freaked us both. Interesting. Out. It was very, well, it's cause yeah. you're living in a simulation. I mean, you know, the, the, the evidence continues to pile up. <laughs> Consciousness is a simulation of a sort. It's just a matter of who built it. That's really all we're arguing about at this point. Mm. You know? Yeah, that's true. Anyway. Well, on that note, I'm going to fuck this simulation up, John. Yeah. The simulation is trying to tell me to quit and I don't give a fuck. I'm not quitting. But what if you quit and you find out that you should have become a vet and that you could help so many it's animals? Too late for that, That's what the simulation is is trying to gear uh, push you towards. It's like in Rick and Morty when he plays. Uh, he play, what's the game he plays? <laughs> Roy. It's Roy. What does he say? He's like, you beat cancer and then you went back to the carpet store. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No social security number. Speaking of which, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go pout. That's and uh, feel sorry for myself. Not a terrible plan. <sighs> but I'm gonna take some deep breaths, John. That's what I'm gonna do next. I, I you know, I, I've done my you know the last 53 minutes or whatever we the last X number of minutes of recording. Yeah. I don't want to do a whole lot more planning. I think that I think what I just did on air I think is about the extent of the strategy that I'm going to do for for the foreseeable future because you know I love my Chinese Taoists I love I love their philosophy I love the idea that well so I I think I told you about this poem but I I was kind of having a hard day the other day and I read this poem and I I decided to memorize it because I thought it was great and it's probably how I should have started this episode rather than ended it but you know what. C'est la vie. The poem goes, the clouds above us part and come together. The wind in the courtyard goes out and comes back in. Life is also like this. So why not relax? Who can keep us from celebrating? And that's my question for me. Mm -hmm. Who can keep me from celebrating right fucking now, John? The answer is nobody. I got a great life. Exactly. I got a great movie under my belt. And I got like 14 great ideas for the next ones. And we've got a fucking great first draft of a script that we finished right before Christmas. Indeed we do. Second draft. We're working on draft three. Good things abound. You're alive in the greatest country in the entire <laughs> history of the universe. Let's make sure to get that on the record. Get that. No, uh, we are. I mean, in a way, it is the greatest country in the history of the universe. It's maybe not the most ethical. Well, I don't know. It, yeah, we live in a great time. We live in a great time. 
we, sure, we certainly do. We live in a really great time. Here's another poem that I remember. Can I tell you one more that's a little bit weird? Yeah, us, and... close, give, us a, give us a weird one to close us out. Okay. This is my answer to what's next, John. Okay. This is my answer to what am I going to do with rollers? This is my answer to how am I going to make sense of, of because I have hope, you know, like I, I did a, a very look up Kundalini yoga sometime. I did. I've been doing a lot of Kundalini yoga. It's very Eastern. It's, it's like I, I was describing someone. It's definitely the least Western yoga I've ever done. It's a lot of chanting. It's a lot of breath work. It's very strange from the outside, but it's, really great. It's very meditative. And I also did a sound bath the other day. I've been doing a lot of like centering and, and, and meditating and focusing. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, I just got to make a note to myself to make sure I put some woo woo music. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love woo woo shit. Okay. Let me, let me, let me tell you this poem though. Yeah. Hit us. And then we're done and then we're out of here. I can tell that I'm just boring the shit out of everybody. But I love it. And this is our podcast. Are you bored? I'm not bored. Hit me with the poem. Okay, okay. The poem is, The Yellow Emperor. This is written by Chuang Tzu. The Yellow Emperor went wandering north of the Red Water to the Kwanlun Mountain. There he looked around over the edge of the world. On the way home, he lost his night-colored pearl. He sent out science in search of the pearl and got nothing. He sent analysis to find the pearl and found nothing. He sent logic to find the pearl and got nothing. Then he asked nothingness, and nothingness had the night-colored pearl. Strange, said the Yellow Emperor. Strange indeed that nothingness, who was not sent and did nothing to act, had the night-colored pearl. Dang. What's that from? That's from The Way of Chuang Tzu. And um, I'm going to try to make that poem my meditation for the next phase of Rollers. I'm going to find the night-colored pearl. I'm going to find the helicopter to the top of the mountain. You know, it's so ironic. I wasn't even thinking about this, but of course this is how the universe works. The whole mountain analogy let's just say that's the Kwanlun mountain, you know, like I, Mm. let's say I got to the top of the mountain and looked around over the edge of the world. I'd still lose the night colored pearl on the way home. Yeah. Without a doubt. You know, so why I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to find nothingness instead of the mountain top. I'm going to find nothingness and I'm going to let nothingness tell me what to do with rollers next. That's what I'm thinking. Well, here's a quote from, rollers slash the Bible Mm. in opposition to this. And that Mm. is the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Mm. That's, you know what that is, John, that's yin me and my quote and yang your quote action Mm -hmm. and inaction. It's in the balance that, that we're going to find the answer. Bingo. Love it. Let's okay. Let's leave it there. Well, thanks for entertaining my uh, my rantings. I gotta leave that sad sigh in at the end. <laughs> uh, well, I'll see you later. Okay.